For the month of December, our theme has been King of Kings, and we looked at the uh, glorious king, we looked at the victorious king, we looked at the coming king, and just for a few minutes before we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to look at the returning king. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, okay? We're going to briefly look at this and unpack this, and uh, the the scripture will be on the screen. I always encourage you to find it on your device or on your in your Bible just to be able to jot down notes and, and get some thoughts. But uh, we're going to be talking about the returning king, and we're talking about Jesus here, the king of all kings. And uh, let me give you a, a two thoughts before I read the scripture to you, okay? First of all is this. In, uh, in print media, there is a font type called second coming font. You, uh, it's used by newspapers when they want to emphasize an incredible historical event that has taken place. World War II ended. Boy, it was a second coming print that was used. Uh, when, uh, when September 12th came around, after 9-11 took place, the font was second coming because something catastrophic, something huge had happened, and they call it second coming type. When uh, Osama bin Laden was uh, taken down, they used it in, in, in that. You can look it up. It's interesting that the secular media even has a font type that's called second coming. And it refers to the second coming of Christ, the second coming when he returns. That is that uh, magnificent of event that takes place. Some of you have been to Israel with us, and uh, you will recall this. And for, for the rest of you, let me give you this picture a little bit. When you're on the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is and this kind of thing, and you're looking across what is called the Kidron Valley, you're looking into Jerusalem where the Temple Mount would have been and the wall around the city and this kind of thing, and you're looking at what is called the Eastern Gate, okay? Prophecy would say that the king is going to enter through the Eastern Gate. Well, what the Muslims have done is that they have put burial areas in front of the eastern gate, in front of that part of the wall of Jerusalem, because their thought is a holy king will never come across, uh, walk across uh, graves. So isn't it interesting that the secular media and another world religion really adheres and thinks uh, uh, very grandiose thoughts that there is a king that is going to return, but so often we as followers of Jesus find ourselves apathetic about it. And so I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 is where we're going to start. Now, let me give you a, just a biblical background here as I read this. Paul is giving instructions to the church in Corinth because they were about to take the Lord's Supper and they were having some problems with it. It was having to remind them of some things. And so here's where we pick it up. Now, understand this. When we read the Bible, for you that are familiar with the Scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about Jesus, and they're called the Gospels, right? Now, those Gospels were not written until after Paul had written this. Sometimes people think, well, Paul was reading the Gospels, and so he wrote this letter. No, it didn't work that way. The, the Gospels weren't written until like 70 A.D., 
Paul's writing this about 60 A.D., okay? So he's writing to people. Jesus had not returned, and so there's a concern here that exists. Now, for you that are looking, okay, is Mark premillennial? He's postmillennial? Is he amillennial? Is tribulation going to be and all this kind of stuff? You're going to be disappointed today. I, when I read the Scriptures, when I read the Scriptures, especially the New Testament, when I read about these people and what they were experiencing, and especially the writings of Paul, which is most of the New Testament, when I read it, I can't help but read it under the guise that they were expecting Jesus to return at any moment. So if they were expecting Jesus to return at any moment, then why would I not live my life with that same expectation? So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through verse 26, and this is what it says. Paul is writing, to the church there. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. In other words, we're going to pass this on from generation to generation. You do realize the Lord's Supper did not start at Central. It's been going on since the beginning, and it has been passed on from generation to generation to generation. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, He took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, now this is interesting, because I just told you this letter was written before the Gospels were written. So we're looking at the first words that were printed that Jesus spoke. And he said this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, do it as a renewal and a recalling every time you do it. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you see that last verse? For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, what? Until he comes, until he returns. You see, the king is going to return. And uh, this, Paul is laying this out to the people because I think there's three things he wants to get across to them that I want to get across to you right quick. Number one, he wants them to remember the past. You see, the Lord's Supper, what Jesus is doing with his disciples is actually the Passover that they did in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the scriptures, this was Moses and the children of Israel were in Egypt. And God is going to deliver them from that uh, situation of slavery. And so they have what's called Passover as the death angel passes over and the firstborn of all the Egyptians is taken down. So now the, he wants them to remember the past. But on, not only the past of that, he wants them to remember the past of Jesus and what he did and what he did on that night. And that eventually he gave his life on a cross. He wants them to remember the past. But second of all, he wants them to remember the presence. Not the present, as in today. Not in the presence, as though you just opened them last Wednesday for Christmas. The presence. His presence. Him being there. He wanted them to remember his, Jesus' presence. And that's what the Lord wants us to remember today. He, not, he wants us to remember the past, what Christ did for us, but he wants us to remember the presence. His, he's here, people. 
It's, it's, God didn't just set everything in motion and Jesus disappeared. He is here. If we believe that he died, that he rose from the dead, we also believe he gave his Holy Spirit and he is present today. And you need to remember that. Thirdly, he not only wanted to remember the past and his presence, but he wanted them to remember the promise. And the promise is this. Jesus said in Matthew 24, I will return. In Acts chapter 1, when he ascends to the Father, these angels show up to speak to the disciples and say, just the way that he went, he is going to return. And you see, we need to grasp that today. Because we have a tendency to not really hang on to that. Because if I say to you, okay, how are you doing with your expectation of Christ returning? Most of us would think, man, I don't ever think about it. What happens when we lose our expectation of Christ's return, and these people were about 50 years after Christ had left, and they were expecting him to come back any moment. Here we are 2,000 years later, and, and so what happens? Two things happen when you lose your expectation of the king's return. One is this, you lose hope. You lose hope. You start to doubt. You're wondering if things are just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And I'm living in a broken world and things are out of control. Maybe God has abandoned us. Maybe this whole thing is not real because he has not returned and you lose hope. And many people today are losing hope. They're just losing hope. They look at our world and they see the brokenness of it. They see the political system. They see uh, just the cancers. They see uh, broken families. They see all this. And they're thinking, how can I make it? And they start to lose hope. But when we focus on the return of the king, we know it's all coming to a culmination one day. But if we don't expect, then we lose hope. But number two happens if that we don't, we lose our expectation of the king returning. Number two is we get lax in our faith. In other words, we start adopting the culture of the world because the anticipation of Christ's return ought to create us uh, uh, to live holy lives. But what happens is, is when we stop thinking about the return of the king, we start getting lax. It starts getting ritualistic. It starts to get traditions. It starts to get religious instead of a vibrant, living faith in Jesus Christ. And then what happens is, is because it loses its life, then we start to live just like the world, and there's not much difference other than the fact that maybe we were baptized or we go to church and they don't, but there's not much of a difference. Because you see, if we believe that Jesus lived, and we believe that he died on a cross, and that he rose from the dead, and that he ascended to the right hand of God the Father then we better be believing that the king will return. Because he will return. And the question I have for me, as well as for you today, number one, is, am I losing hope? Is my vibrancy of my faith not much anymore? I have, I've lost hope. And then number two, have I become lax in my faith? Have I adopted the world more than holiness of living for God? And, and part of the reason that Paul wrote this is he wanted uh, the people to know when you come to the Lord's table, you're going to do this until he returns. It's not just some ritualistic thing. It is actually life-giving to return to what God has for us. 
D.L. Moody said this. It's incredible. He said D.L. Moody was an evangelist. And he said this. The devil does not want us to see the truth concerning the return of the Lord. For nothing would wake up the church so much. The moment a person takes hold of the truth that Jesus Christ is coming back again to receive his friends to himself, this world loses its hold upon them. Gas stocks, stocks and banks and railroads are much of less consequence. And you can tell it's historical, but it would be the things of the world grow strangely dim. The heart is free to look for the blessed appearing of our Lord, who at his coming will take us into his blessed kingdom. You see, the first time Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant. The next time he returns, he's coming back as a conquering king. The first time that he came, he came with humble origins and beginnings. When he returns, he's coming back with the armies of heaven. This is the king who is returning. It says in Revelation chapter 19, I want you to hear what John described as the king returning. He said, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which is to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That who is re returning. There was some fishermen and they'd gone out and they'd been out for weeks away from their families, out fishing. And as they returned closer to home, one of the guys pulled out his telescope and is looking at the group that is along the shore as they come back. He starts saying, oh, there's Dave's wife, and there's John's wife, and there's Sid's wife. And he starts naming off the wives of the different ones that are there. Well, there was one man he didn't call his wife's name. And so when he landed, he made the walk up the hill to his house, kind of dejected with his head down. And as he got to the house, he walked inside and his wife came and he says, I've been waiting for you. And he said, you may be waiting, but all the other wives were watching. You see, there's a difference between waiting for Christ's return and watching for Christ's return. He will return. I'm not saying quit your jobs and stare off into space until Christ returns. But our lives should be reflecting an expectancy that we believe that there's going to come a day when the king is going to make all things right. Where are you today? Are you, are you living a life of hopefulness and expectation? Or your faith become lifeless and dead? Hey, today is the day as we come to the Lord's table, to let it spark up, to let the Holy Spirit spark you.